Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 106, with Kathy Lucas uh, from the Metropolitan State University of Denver. Uh, She comes uh, to the episode with a wealth of experience, uh, just talks a lot about how our institution has been adaptable uh, through uh, 2020 and ever all the disruptions that have uh, occurred, uh, and how she's engaged with her uh, community and stakeholders and students and faculty and staff and everybody uh, to really just make sure that uh, everyone is kind of coalescing around the shared values of the institution uh, and that their community knows exactly where uh, the institution stands on all the issues that are coming up uh, and are up to date on what is going on and all the uh, things that are uh, needed to know by students uh, around digital learning and all all that good stuff. So it was just a great conversation. Appreciate everything that Kathy shared. Uh, we uh, called out uh, quite a few good podcasts to check out. So uh, definitely look for those in the show notes, uh, as well as information about our new merch store. Uh, and as of uh, this release of the episode, uh, this is uh, October 28th in 2020. Uh, if you're listening to it as a new release, uh, there is a sale going on in our merch store uh, through the end of the week. So Definitely go check that out uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, But after this brief message from our sponsor, this is the bonus episode number 106 with Kathy Lucas. This episode is sponsored by Degree.me, a one-stop college research tool for students. If you work for a college or university, you'll want to learn all about their ability to connect you with the right students at a budget-friendly price. To find out more, please visit Degree.me slash H-E-G. Yeah, super excited to talk with you, Kathy. Um, This has been uh, an episode that's been a long time coming. We've been working on finding a good time to uh, talk through your professional journey and just kind of uh, your position and experience, Um, just kind of thinking strategically about uh, the work in higher education that's happening right now. That's uh, obviously super unique for a lot of people, um, really unprecedented. So it's... uh, I was, you know, just really time well spent uh, to talk through this and, you know, how you're viewing uh, the work that you're doing, supporting your students and uh, share that out with everybody. So I really appreciate you uh, taking out the time and um, we'll start out as we always do. Uh, If you do want to give a brief introduction of yourself and your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, sure. Well, Dustin, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time today, too. Um, So I'm the Vice President of Strategy and External Affairs at Metropolitan State University of Denver, and we are a regional comprehensive university. We're 55 years young. And, you know, we like to say that we empower our students to um, advance their lives and careers through an innovative and transformational education. Um, Today, we have nearly 100,000 career-ready graduates and more of 80% of those who stay in Colorado. So um, in my role, I work to really enhance the reputation and the public perception of the university, doing this through integrated marketing and internal and external communications and external affairs. I've been at MSU Denver for 22 years. Um, I started as a media relations manager, and I grew to the director of communications and then an associate vice president and now the VP. And, you know, I've always continued to take on more responsibility and different work throughout the years. And I have to say, I've had the benefit of someone believing in me early on and giving me a chance to prove myself, to grow and to thrive. Um, I've worked to build our brand from a college that was deemed the school of last hope to now a real vibrant urban university that's adaptable and innovative and makes bold decisions. And during my tenure, We changed the university's name. We've added master's programs. We've built several buildings, including a hotel on campus. Um, We implemented a special tuition rate for our undocumented students. And this was before DACA. 
and we've created a lot of buzz along the way. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I mean, just over that length of time, just so much that you've been able to uh, see. And I think, you know, it uh, can be, uh, you know, unfortunately, not as uh, common as maybe it used to be of like, people really building their career at one place. And like, obviously, you have the benefit of so much uh, knowledge of the context that uh, your institution has worked in over all that time, and just really like, committing to kind of a longer term vision uh, of what can be and kind of working towards that versus any just kind of uh, short term goals, any of those things, because I was like, yeah, like building things and, you know, all that, that takes a lot of time and, you know, preparing for that and then really just uh, making sure that, you know, you're kind of uh, doing the best work that you can with any of these uh, you know, new things that are coming up and maybe stuff that hasn't been working as well. Um, yeah, you're just having that longer term uh, experience and longer term vision, I'm sure has been uh, super helpful. So I think, you know, we can kind of build on that, you know, and maybe how that has uh, played a part in uh, you kind of growing um, at uh, your institution there. So like, you know, kind of taking uh, some time to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing now. Um, and, you know, I guess giving us some kind of uh, segue and kind of lead way into that. And then certainly, you know, if you want to just talk through um, any anecdotes of how uh, the work that you're doing now also has changed with this current climate. So, you know, just kind of carry us through, I guess, uh, chronologically, uh, you know, through to this current moment and then just how it's been uh, changing over these past several months. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, to your point, it's like every, I, I have what's called institutional knowledge. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I can always go back. But yeah, so, you know, um, my approach has always been to develop a strategy where we can um, integrate aspects of the university's culture into core messages and then connect our brand with events or moments that, you know, we really stand for. And we've taken a storytelling strategy of sharing what's possible for our students. Um, our brand campaign, our advertising campaign right now is Reimagine Possible. And that, you know, I think that really... Um, it's really relevant and really makes sense. We're allowing our students to really reimagine what's possible. But one of the strategies that we did was three years ago, we took our traditional public relations and communications approach, and um, we flipped it on its head, honestly, with brand journalism. And I know you'll probably are going to ask, well, what is brand journalism? Because I'm ready to tell you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's um, where we engage our audience through through um, real reporting and lively storytelling. And so that's the journalism side. And then with our university experts and experiences, and that's the branding. And we've used brand journalism to provide relevant content through articles and video about Denver and Colorado, while intentionally highlighting a faculty member or a university program in those stories. And so the strategy is, is to make sure that the content isn't only relevant to our students and our alumni and our employees, but also that our readership extends to the business community and to the legislature and the news media. And our readers will then, you know, the intent is that our readers will then share our stories with their networks and really increasing the reach of our storytelling. Um, but one area where we've been successful is with the news media, where we have written a story or produced a video We've shared it with the news media, and sometimes they've just picked it up as is and just repurposed it. And so that's really been the goal of brand journalism and, you know, kind of how we've pivoted our strategy. But once COVID hit, like every other comms office, we moved into crisis communication mode, and we began mapping out a strategy on how we not react, but respond with messaging to first our employees and our students and then to our external stakeholders. 
And so I believe from March until August, we created nearly 100 different communication pieces on COVID, uh, the financial crisis, and Black Lives Matter. And these came from our president, from board members, from our senior leaders. And then we ramped up our brand journalism program during this time as well to focus on our great faculty experts. You know, whether it was mental health or diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, but then we also told some stories about some of our faculty who were doing really innovative and cool things um, while campus was closed. Um, you know, one example was we had a engineering faculty member who came onto campus um, in April and went into our Advanced Manufacturing Institute and used that um, additive manufacturing space to create PPC materials for local hospitals. So, you know, we profiled that story. We're very proud of this faculty member. And, you know, this was one of the examples. But during this time, the, our brand journalism publication, which is called RED, um, stands for Relevant Essential Denver. And RED is also our brand color. Um, but this is a biweekly curated publication. And during that time, it was, um, it's been, it, it's distributed to about 100,000 people. Our click-through rate doubled um, in April, May, and June, because, you know, more people were getting these stories, they were able to take the time and, and read it while they were in lockdown. And so we really jumped on that. But then the other um, component that we pivoted to was our advertising campaign. And so fall of 2019, we had launched a advertising campaign, the Reimagine Possible that I described. Um, but in the spring, we decided to pivot our campaign to really drive student enrollment. You know, we felt because of our innovative education and our urban location that we could be a great alternative for many students who might be taking a gap year, but also the students um, that were looking to upskill both during and then after the pandemic. So um, part of our strategy was TV advertising, you know, in um, April and May, because there was a increased viewership of TV advertising. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many people saw our 15 second ads on Hulu, local TV channels, and then even TikTok. Um, I have a 18 year old and a 15 year old and both of them during, especially during um, COVID when we were on lockdown, they were on TikTok all the time. So we worked with our media buying agency to help us crack the code to get some advertisements onto TikTok. And that worked really well too. And then lastly, I would say during COVID, you know, we I wanted to make sure that we ensure that we provide a strong connectivity to my team members, some who haven't been on campus since we closed in March. And so, you know, whether it's our daily or weekly or monthly scheduled virtual meetings, we've made sure that we do, you know, kind of icebreakers and games and, you know, just keep it light and fun um, while we're going over important information. But also we implemented a weekly um, connect with your colleague where we had team members spend um, each week they're assigned to another team member and they schedule a half hour call or chat and you know, just talk about personal stuff, not, not work related, but just to get to know your colleagues better and really just do kind of a check in. And then my um, executive assistant and I worked um, over the summer with a couple of local nonprofits to mail small gifts directly to our team members homes just to let them know that we were thinking about them. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, that's, a, you know, that's really what's been, um, we've been focusing on during COVID. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, yeah, just like kind of a you know, like multi-pronged, uh, just very uh, kind of diverse digital strategy there um, of helping to um, just do a variety of things, obviously just continue to promote yourself and your offerings and, uh, you know, reaching new 
potential students and then just uh, keeping your community uh, kind of tightly knit and everything. So I kind of want to focus on the latter there of kind of the community stakeholders that you have, you know, as you mentioned, you know, faculty, staff, students and everybody. Um, Because really, you know, just to make sure it's like really emphasized, because I think, you know, this is obviously accelerating a lot of people thinking a lot more about their digital strategy, their digital community building and all those sort of things. So to you, you know, it, it does take a lot of time and effort, maybe some like new tools that you have to learn and all that. Like, but what makes it worth that effort? Like what makes this so important to make sure that you're communicating with all of these uh, stakeholders during this time? Because again, I think some institutions and organizations are kind of, you know, recoiling back and trying to just kind of maybe bide their time uh, until they can kind of just get back to what they were doing before. So, you know, what makes this so important, so worth the, the time and effort and resources? Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, with communications, you have to be thinking about your stakeholders at all times and the many different lenses, right? You know, we're, I always look at it as, you know, we're, we're focusing on building our brand, we're driving student enrollment, we're building statewide support through advocacy, you know, for funding for higher ed. And then we're continuing to demonstrate our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's a lot of stakeholders, you know, so you've got to use a lot of different vehicles to do that. And to your point, you know, some of it is through this well-crafted digital strategy. Some of it is through um, personal emails and um, texts and outreach. You know, some, a lot of it is through social. But then we've also done a lot of um, town hall meetings with our various stakeholders. You know, we've done town hall meetings with our students and we've done a few with our alumni. Um, We just did our welcome back for our faculty and staff um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, with our president. And, you know, over the summer and this fall, we've also been doing some outreach with our external stakeholders because there's some, you know, business and community members that really want to, they want to know how they can help, which is great. But they also want to know, you know, what are, what, what, what are we doing? You know, what, what are you guys doing with diversity? How are you, you know, you're, you're the most diverse um, university in Colorado, but what are you really doing to ensure um, that your students feel that they've got that, um, that they're feeling, you know, your inclusion efforts are resonating with them. So we've had a lot of virtual town hall meetings and that's proven to be really successful too. Um, We've gotten great feedback on that afterwards and we've just, the, the other great thing about virtual town hall meetings is I think our attendance for that has probably tripled, you know, uh-huh. that's been another um, great effort as well. Cause some of these, I feel like are kind of, we're just continually building off of what you've been mentioning, which is great of kind of the other stuff I wanted to talk about. But um, cause yeah, I mean, I think that's to me just a, a very important aspect of this is like recognizing, like you can reach more people through all these efforts and that, is important you know like people can jump on or maybe like watch a recording of a town hall if you know you kind of make that available on demand and then um i think again all of it is time well spent because you're not just sort of because i feel like this comes up and maybe in different kind of facets it's just sort of which this absolutely is kind of I think eroded over the past several years, but just sort of like higher institutions just kind of like, well, we've built it. So they will come, you know, people know who we are. We're here. We'll get students. No big deal. But like, obviously that's kind of eroded. Like you've got to really market it yourself and put yourself out there just so people know who you are and your offerings. But I think, you know, with what you're saying too, like, you have to make it really clear because I think so much more now in the past couple of years, people are kind of voting with their feet, voting with their dollars, you know, that sort of thing of like, I want to make sure that I'm supporting organizations or being a part of communities that uh, embody my values and make it really clear, you know, 
for your institution. Like, this is what we're about. Like, we are, you know, kind of showing our work and uh, just making it known what we're doing, especially in the kind of diversity and equity and inclusion space. You know, I think some institutions are just going to say, like, like how you mentioned, like, oh, we're, we're, you know, we're just the most diverse institution in uh, the state. So, you know, just kind of, all right, like we're done or whatever. It's like, no, I mean, that and, you know, here's, you know, what else we're working on as an organization or what we're doing for students and uh, those sort of things. So, again, it's, it's, it's important to uh, show your work in that way and make sure that your values are known so that people can really see uh, versus just like, you know, um, assuming that they understand, you know, like that. I don't know, they, they know because it's such like everybody's got a lot going on. So, you know, yeah, you got to continue to put yourself out there and make sure that you are uh, really prominent and all that. So I'm curious because, again, you know, this is, you know, uncharted territory for a lot of folks. And I mean, it sounds like you, you've been kind of uh, thinking in this kind of uh, mindset of, uh, for quite some time in terms of like communications with stakeholders and um, this sort of thing. But I mean, uh, just anything like in hindsight that you feel like you would have maybe done differently or, you know, any moments, because I, I would expect it for anybody uh, in these circumstances. But um, I think I'm, I'm always curious to hear of just like reflection is like, oh, I wish we would have done more of this or less of that even, you know, like any of that kind of stuff in this current moment. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's funny. I think one obvious thing that I wish we could have explained to students and parents and and the greater community sooner is synchronous versus asynchronous. Mm. So when we went to remote learning in um, March, you know, I think there were still a lot of people that didn't understand synchronous versus asynchronous. I mean, now that's a common term. Um, I I had a um, virtual gathering with a few friends last week and, you know, that came up. And of course it's coming up now because, you know, it's parents. And so they hear that a lot with K-12 and now they're hearing it um, in higher ed. But when we were first describing it, I think that was just such an academic term that a lot of people didn't understand it. So, you know, it's something so simple, but I'm like, you know, we could have had a glossary on that. Um, But I think the other thing that I wish we would have done sooner, I would say maybe not, um, would be right now, a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off a weekly highlight of where we're doing a shout out to from our president to um, a faculty member, a staff member and a student each week. And so we push that out through, you know, mainly through social, but also through our internal publication. And I wish we would have done that sooner because I think just providing that connectivity and demonstrating, hey, here's a faculty member that's doing some really innovative work and, you know, they're very student centered. Um, It makes, you know, just that appreciation and just um, highlighting these great success stories, it kind of goes back to that don't tell me, but show me. And so I think that's one tactic that I wish we would have done sooner, but I'm so glad that we're doing it right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it makes me think, I was just listening to, um, he's a previous guest on the podcast, but uh, uh, Jeff Young, who hosts the uh, Ed Surge podcast, they have this uh, like kind of campus diary series that they're doing as you know students and uh, faculty are going through uh, this fall term. And um, one thing that they mentioned was about just in the spirit of the first thing that you mentioned of just sort of unfamiliarity with kind of the the jargon and the terminology of like digital education. Something else was that uh, there's like, you know, proctoring software and, you know, these different things that you have to use if you're like taking an exam uh, remotely and people are just sort of like kind of weirded out of like, oh, wow, wait, so this is like watching me or is it like capturing like, you know, keystrokes, right? Like there's a lot of like confusion and sort of apprehension about these things. And it's really like, 
you know, some people were noting, it's like, well, I mean, they went from like nothing, like you just kind of were in a room with somebody looking over you and that, that's kind of familiar to kind of what feels as though it's really like a dramatic shift. And, you know, again, you could kind of get ahead of that if you, you know, were a little bit more um, forthright with like explaining, okay, this is how we do digital education, the tools and, you know, how things are done. Um, so it made me think of that. I mean, yeah, that, that's definitely great advice is that, you know, as institutions are continuing to perhaps kind of just expand their digital education and bringing in uh, students who have maybe never taken an online course before, kind of where are things at now? Like there, there's so much kind of complexity of the uh, the tools and the terminology and those sort of things. So it's, you know, uh, again, sort of a, a time well spent to be like, okay, or, you know, do we have kind of like an online, you know, orientation, like an onboarding of just kind of like the platforms and that sort of thing. And, you know, even even just like an ounce of effort there, I think is uh, helpful to kind of normalize some things. But um, the second part kind of makes you think of uh, my next question here of, um, you know, looking more towards the future, because uh, it sounds like that the kind of shout outs and highlights uh, uh, effort that you're doing is something obviously that could absolutely just continue on, not just in this current moment to make sure that, you know, people feel connected as part of your community, even though they're apart. So, um, yeah, I'm really this is something that's really just on my mind a lot as institutions have done a lot more that they've never done before is thinking like, are you going to still be doing that? You know, like yeah. say like a year from now, you know, if things are better, are you going to still be doing all of this digital community building or, you know, is it going to kind of like fizzle out because some people are just kind of begrudgingly doing things because they have to, you know, there's no other way. So I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are of like, you know, I mean your work, but also like institutionally, anything you're aware of, it just kind of like what you've seen work really well and you feel like you're going to be, committing to even kind of moving forward once, uh, you know, things are back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. Well, and to go back to the, um, you know, even online and doing, you know, talking about jargon, we are working on a video right now for when we're, um, for recruiting students of what you can expect from an online course, you know, cause mm. there's a lot of misnomers out there. So we just want to have a video that's on our website that we'll be pushing out, um, through social and other channels as well. But, you know, you're a student, it's just a quick 60 second video. What do I expect if I'm taking an online class? So that's one thing I wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention, but yeah, yeah, I think things, um, you know, the virtual space is changing everything that we're doing, um, before to now. And so I've looked at a couple of things, you know, one is working from home. So as a university, we never had a policy and we didn't really encourage people to work from home. Um, It just wasn't in our DNA at MSU Denver. And so now when we officially return, when we eventually return back to campus, um, I see this as a key part of how we'll do business. You know, I've got, because I've got a communications team, I've got a lot of team members that are in open space and they're in this really creative space. And so we're going to need to be looking at this. You know, do you need to be here physically five days a week? Could you come in three days a week and, you know, work from home the other two? And so, you know, I think space, um, that's going to be something that's um, really looked at. I had read, I, it was in a New York Times article where um, companies were looking at, you know, having their employees come in two days a week and then Wednesday would, you know, kind of be the, like the cleaning day, if you will. And then Thursday, Friday, um, another group cohort of employees coming in Thursday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that could be something too. But then another thing um, in higher ed as a whole is commencement and really looking at how we do this differently. Um, you know, we, like many other higher ed institutions in the spring, we had decided to postpone our spring commencement for the fall because we had hoped that it would, you know, we'd assume that it would be um, in person and we'd be up and running and ready to go on that. Well, just last week, we had to send out not 
only to our fall graduates, but also to the spring graduates that we're going to be doing a virtual commencement ceremony. So, you know, we've been really planning for that. And I'm just looking as we're setting the stage for future commencements, I really believe there's going to be a virtual component. You know, when we're back in person, I think now there's still going to be some kind of virtual component. So I just think it's really, it's not a matter of doing thing, completely new things, but I think it's more doing things different and seeking how we make things better and relying on this experience that we've had the last few months to allow us to make it better. Yeah. I mean, that's what's sort of on my mind is that, like, there's certain things that I would hope continue if it's just, yeah, that's kind of like digital community building efforts of just being kind of respectful of like the modality to like, well, nope, you, you can only, you know, take, take part in this if you're in person. Uh, if, if not, then you kind of miss out. It could be even at the bare minimum again, just like, okay, well, you know, we have a speaker and we record it and then we upload, you know, that high quality video to be available on demand on YouTube or elsewhere. But, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, live streamed at the same time. Cause sometimes that gets a little bit complex, but you know, and that, and that's the idea of like, okay, well we could do, you know, this, traditional commencement, but then, yeah, just have some sort of like virtual, uh, aspect to it to kind of, uh, bring people together. And, um, yeah, I've just, I've thought about this a lot and I'm hopeful that these things continue to be, uh, parts of conversations about how these, you know, sort of seminal, uh, campus, uh, events and things are planned since, you know, increasingly there's just going to be more and more uh, entirely online students or kind of hybrid students, or, you know, just even for those like commuter adult learners who just may find it difficult to uh, commit the time to go on campus for something, uh, you know, um, at any given time. So, uh, you know, and then and it's even the other stuff of just like, if it's like, oh, well, you know, we like created a Slack or a discord community for our campus, or even like within like a certain school, it's like, just keep doing that. I mean, like, that's such a great platform. Like it doesn't have to just be this thing. Where it's like, well, we're only doing this because we have to, it's like, well, I mean, I think increasingly nowadays you kind of have to do more of this digital, uh, uh community building, but, um, you know, I, I'm just curious, uh, uh, yeah, as we see, you know, the next, uh, you know, several months go on, if, um, people's sort of persistence with these things uh, continue if they see sort of the uh, kind of return on their investment and sort of, uh, you know, feedback from students and uh, faculty staff on the, on the different efforts. So, um, so we will uh, kind of move on here, I guess, of just with all that we've said, all, and, you know, you've kind of mentioned that you're doing, you know, all the great work that, you know, your uh, institution is doing. So, you know, with everything that you've learned and everything that you've done and everything that you're thinking about, like, you know, just going through all these disruptions and everything, you know, from your experience, like what advice would you give to other higher professionals that are obviously just continuing to try to chart these uh, choppy waters and, you know, not being able to see too far onto the horizon? You know, are there any kind of mantras or, uh, you know, things that kind of uh, help resonate with you to help you uh, feel kind of motivated and inspired to keep, you know, working through all these disruptions? Any other advice that you would give to other folks? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think right now we have such a greater sense of freedom to be, you know, innovative and, you know, experiment with new ideas and whether that's communication or just ways of doing business. So part of my role is I lead the university's strategic plan and um, pre-COVID, our strategic plan 2025 would have gone on live, gone um, live July 1st. But in the spring, our president asked us to pause and take this, take an approach from a futurist lens and really look at scenarios on how they might frame the strategic plan. And, you know, this was just so helpful in our thinking because right now all bets are off. You know, you can and you should be using the space to be more innovative. 
And, you know, I go back and as I'm looking, doing the strategic plan, I'm looking at our university where we were founded 55 years ago to meet our students where they are in their urban backyard. Well, today our student population, they've moved to the suburbs because they really can't afford to live in the city. But our mission is still, um, has never been more intact or relevant to what I see as the higher ed needs of students today. You know, I think we're, we're um, doing this in a more innovative way through a stronger investment in technology and online courses. But this is also coupled with those connections with the business community who really understand and believe in our mission and um, really want students like, you know, student like ours to be future employees. And so we've been working with them and we've been trying to, you know, foster these relationships and now we're just doing it in such a more innovative way. You know, we're just bringing, we're having apprenticeship programs and, you know, we're just, we're building and creating, you know, majors around these needs and working with employers to really determine, you know, you know, what kind of employees are you looking for? So I just think being innovative right now, if you're not doing it, you know, if you're just kind of pausing and kind of keeping your, <laughs> you know, just waiting to pop your head up when things are um, a little bit more stable, that's the wrong thing to do. Because I think you should really be disruptive and just be shaking things up and just looking at it differently from a different lens. Yeah. And I mean, just with what you've talked about too, it could literally just be like, how does our team do the work that we need to do? Like, yeah, is it like, you know, we have the flexibility for like, you know, some of those like work from home days. And I know that even gets to the sort of value of like, okay, those work from home days, those are sort of like, you know, no meeting days, just like kind of plug in, get work done. And then, you know, we'll be together in person for the meetings that we need to have on a week to week basis or those sort of things. And then like kind of just larger picture, like you're saying, just sort of like, you know, these partnerships and majors and programs and, you know, kind of pipelines for uh, internships or jobs or any of that kind of stuff that you're just like really like integrating. And I, I've, I'm always just reassured by because I completely agree with you that I think this is the time to maybe take some chances, think more bigger picture and longer term, you know, like I kind of was uh, talking about at the beginning of this uh, episode, but um, cause yeah, I think that there's definitely, I can see it both ways that some people are going to be more risk adverse right now as like budgets might get tight and those sort of things. It's like, I think you have to at least start to think about as we've kind of had to like recoil and recalibrate there are so many opportunities to innovate uh, looking towards the future and not just being like, well, when can we just get back to how things were and just kind of keep doing them the way that we were doing them before? Because absolutely the world on the other side of this is going to be vastly different. Um, so you're going to want to be, uh, you know, anticipating that a little bit um, and just kind of, you know, just thinking, thinking more long-term. So um, yeah, I, uh, well, emphasize as well the, uh, the impetus for just like, this is the moment for innovation, because uh, I, I definitely support that. Yeah, yeah. And we're just not going to be returning to that, nor to the way things were, you know, that's <laughs> just, I don't see that as happening. So yeah, you just have to be, you know, trying to look ahead and, and just analyze these different scenarios of what you think might be happening. And, you know, it just helps you be better prepared. Well, yeah. And I'd, I'd imagine just really briefly here too, like, I'd imagine, you know, again, at, at this point, institutions can see like, oh, wow, you know, there's a lot more demand for digital education than we may have thought that there had been before. Like students are taking it up more readily. Like, you know, maybe there wasn't as much of an impact on your retention and like, you know, those sort of things are just the feedback of like, wow, that, you know, people have really enjoyed the way that we built our courses and, you know, those sort of things that could be like, okay, well then let's, you know, invest more in that, you know, and like take the cues maybe, you know, from what has been happening and what, you know, uh, your stakeholders have thought of the efforts that you've done. And then, yeah, I mean, just like take the time that you have now to kind of uh, plan and yeah, anticipate what 
uh, you'll need to do to be sustainable for the future. So, um, you know, with, you know, with all that being said as well, I'm curious, like, uh, just in particular, cause we always like to share our resources as much as we can. So, um, anything that you'd like to highlight of maybe things that you have engaged with, uh, over the past, uh, several months or just kind of like all time favorites, you know, of like resources of, you know, books or podcasts or uh, tools, websites, anything at all that you'd want to just give a tip of the hat to that we could, uh, include in the show notes. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I'm a podcast geek, so and I'm also a news junkie. So, you know, my day really starts with um, the New York Times Daily or mm-hmm. Fox mm-hmm. Today Explained or What a Day. I mean, I just, you know, those those are kind of how I just wake up and, you know, walk and listen to those. Um, I also love Mind Candy. And so I've been listening to those. Um, one of I love listening to true crime podcasts. Um, and right now I'm binging on Missing in Alaska, which is, it's about two congressmen who uh, vanished on a plane in the early 70s, their plane vanished. And then fast forward to the 90s, the FBI started um, hearing stories that there were mob ties and that the plane was bombed. So it's a totally, totally guilty pleasure, but so good. But to keep up to date, I mean, I get, you know, the Chronicle and Inside Higher Ed, um, and then... EAB, I think that's a great website with a lot of good resources. And then from a public relations um, lens, Reagan Communications. I mean, they've got a wealth of information on their website too. So yeah, there's a lot of information out there and it's just ensuring that you spend the time, you know, every morning or afternoon just to keep up and, you know, read ahead. So you're, you're, you're current and you're relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I, I like too that you kind of gave a, a wide spectrum of things of just like the informative news podcast and the guilty pleasure podcast and everything. So, um, and I'll kind of, uh, kind of memorialize here, like my current guilty pleasure, just cause it's so silly and stupid is, um, a podcast called the runner files. So it's a sort of comedic spoof, like true crime investigative podcast. that's looking into actor Jeremy Renner's short-lived app that he made um which like it just was this like super weird story but they're doing this like super deep dive into like who is jeremy renner why would he create an app like why did it fail and all this like <laughs> and it's just so like the idea of like a very deep and like seriously committed absurdity um which i can say that i personally appreciate um but uh I don't because I've listened to it with my wife and she's like, this is so silly and stupid. I'm like, I know. And I love it. Um, so the runner files. Um, and yeah, I, because I, I try to keep a, like a healthy diet of podcasts of like, yeah, I start with the daily and then I'll do some higher ed ones and then, you know, just some other like uh, more silly ones. But um, yeah, just helps to keep the day, you know, lively and uh, vibrant and diverse and all that good stuff. So yeah, yes. absolutely. You got to recalibrate your brain every day. You know, we're just online all the time and it's just focused on, you know, so much serious content and matter all the time that, yeah, you got to keep it light too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I do the same thing of like, you know, take my dog out for a walk at least like two or three times a day. So it's like, all right, cool. What am I listening to on this walk? You know, just like plug something in and just, you know, walk in, uh, you know, for right now, the beautiful fall weather and, uh, you know, enjoy that time away from uh, my computer and, um, yeah, just listen to something engaging. So, um, cool. Well, then we will wrap up uh, here with any final thoughts that you have. I think, you know, kind of the larger picture topic here, certainly, you know, like communication and, you know, the disruptions and changing, but, you know, it's kind of all about like higher ed adaptability. You know, you've been working at your institution for a long time and, uh, you know, you've had a lot of ex- different experiences there. And um, I'll just say it too. I mean, it, it resonates with me as well of like, you know, uh, what you kind of shared about, 
you know, having someone kind of believe in you and kind of uh, uplift you. And now you've been uh, kind of set on this path to be doing this work uh, for as long as you have. And, um, you know, again, it, it, within all that time, having probably a lot of different contexts of, you know, adapting and changing and uh, improving. So with all of that being said, what are final thoughts that you have on higher ed adaptability that you'd want people to kind of uh, leave this episode with? Sure. I mean, two things I would say. Um, so I'm always looking at ways to do things different and better. And I look at our mascot, the MSU Denver Roadrunner. And I don't know, you've probably never studied roadrunners, but you know, the true roadrunner, the desert bird, it's a really adaptable bird. You know, it's, it's capable of flight, but it likes, it prefers to be on the ground and run and it runs at 20 miles per hour or something. Mm. Um, and they prefer sprinting, but they usually fly to escape predators or when traveling down steep slopes. And so, you know, I've always applied that roadrunner spirit every day when I look for ways to, you know, adapt, create and collaborate. It's kind of like, what would the roadrunner do? Would you be flying right now? Or would you be, you know, um, running? And so, you know, I, I do that, but then I also look at our, the core values of the university. Um, I try to focus on values instead of fears, instead of my fears. And um, our values are, it's cadre E squared. So it's communication, um, access, diversity, respect, entrepreneurial, and excellent. And, you know, in everything that we do, I try to take that approach and ensure that we've got at least two to three core values into the communication approach that we're doing or you know, whether it's a strategic plan or some other strategic work that we're doing, I always try to make sure that, you know, it's grounded with our values. That's uh, such a great sentiment to end this episode because I, again, I just want to voice my support for that uh, mentality. I think that's such an important way to kind of uh, view decision-making and, um, you know, where you're kind of operating from as, you know, more values-based than uh, fear-based and, uh, also just appreciate the kind of like uh, geeky, nerdy deep dive into roadrunners of like, you know, what life lessons can you learn from this little animal, you know? Um, so, so perfect. And um, I think, yeah, just, just so relevant of kind of uh, really trying to, you know, solidify those values, make sure that they are prominent and uh, decisions are made uh, from those versus kind of just, uh, you know, that place of fear. Um, Cause I think that, Certainly, that is a, uh, a tempting side of, and I've always been uh, perhaps overly focusing on like liabilities or just, you know, we should avoid any potential complications or something that might seem like it's too hard. Um, as long as you're keeping your North Star of your values, you can always know that you're making uh, good uh, decisions for your community and your stakeholders. And you can at least kind of really settle in with those. Like, if you ever kind of had to, you know, advocate for the decision that you made, you can always just, um, kind of rest on knowing that it came from uh, your values. So, um, so much great stuff and just really appreciate, I mean, all the, all the great work that you're helping to do with your institution and uh, all the things that you've shared and, uh, you know, we'll share all the resources and the things that you mentioned and uh, all that in the show notes as usual, but um, thank you again so much for your time. This has been uh, yeah, such a great conversation. Yeah, Dustin, thank you. I truly enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.